Hebrews 7 is referring to Genesis 14 and the story of Abraham and Melchizedek that I just shared. So we wanted to share the story. We also wanted to bless uh, our children that are here. But we wanted to share the story, and now we want to look at the commentary that the author of Hebrews provides on the story of Melchizedek and Abraham. So let's ask the Lord now to bless our time in his word. Would you bow your heads as I pray? Father, thank you for these children, Lord God. Thank you for the ones who weren't able to come up uh, today, Lord God, and the ones who did come up. Lord, I, I pray your blessing on them. Lord, I pray, God, that uh, the bread and the grapes would remind them that you are a good God, uh, Lord, that you provide for them. Lord, I pray that you would indeed be gracious to them and turn your face to them. Lord, and what I pray for them, I pray for us as well. Father, we want to hear from you. Lord, turn your face to us and speak to us. Lord God, we have this story that you have written down as an example for us. Give us your interpretation. Help us to understand. Apply it to our lives. Make it your word to us today. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 7, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. That's what we were talking about, the story we've been telling this morning. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, stop there for just a second. Verse 3 is kind of a a strange-sounding verse. Let me just tell you. What this means is, is that when Melchizedek shows up in the story in Genesis, he comes without having a father or mother, meaning they're not, we're not told who his father and mother are, and we're not told what his genealogy is. He just appears in the story. That's what verse 3 is trying to say, is that Melchizedek sort of pops into the story out of the blue. That's the point. Keep reading with me. <clears throat> just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they are descended from Abraham. This man, however, meaning Melchizedek, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Now, there's lots going on in this passage. We can't focus on all of the different things. But what we want to do is we want to think about Abraham and the journey of faith that he was on and how he is an example for us in our journeys of faith, especially when it comes to Abraham's attitude toward money and blessing. Two weeks ago, we were in Hebrews chapter 6. And in Hebrews 6, it said that we are to imitate those who through faith and patience 
inherited what was promised, and the example that the author of Hebrews used was Abraham. And we talked about Abraham being on a journey of faith. Here we have another story from Abraham's life. This is really the second story from Abraham's life. The first story, after he is called by God to come and receive a blessing, to go on a journey of faith, the first story is really a failure. Abraham goes down into Egypt. He stops trusting in the Lord and puts the trust in his own wisdom. He tries to provide for himself, and it goes poorly. We talked about the fact that all of us who are followers of Jesus, who are on journeys of faith, we all stumble. We all stop believing. We all walk away. But by God's grace, he brings us back. And this is the second story, and it's a story not of failure, but of faith. You see, Abraham, who is the victor in the battle in the story from Genesis 14, is due all the spoils of war. The king of Sodom and the other kings, they don't deserve anything. They went to battle and lost. Abraham went to battle and won. He deserved all the stuff. He's the victorious general. But when the king of Sodom comes out and demands his people back, Abraham said, I'm not only going to give you your people back, I'm going to give you all your possessions too. And the reason is, as he says, because I'm trusting in God. I'm trusting in God to provide for me. I don't need to take your stuff. I don't want the stuff that I have to come from stealing or from taking from other people. God is going to provide for me. That's an act of faith. And look, at while Abraham is doing this, coming back home, he's sitting at a feast that Melchizedek has provided for him at God's request. And there's Abraham exercising his faith, saying, I'm trusting in God. Look, I didn't even have any idea this feast was coming. God has provided for this. He took care of me in battle. He's going to take care of everything and fulfill his promises to me. So the story in Genesis 14, that second story in Abraham's journey of faith, this is a great story. Abraham is by faith trusting in God. Now, you may also remember two weeks ago, we talked about when you're on a journey of faith, it takes a lot of patience because God doesn't give you everything at once. And I compared it to the example of waiting in line for a great meal. And while you're waiting in line for that great meal, sometimes you get tastes, little appetizers or samplers to help encourage you that the meal is ultimately coming. That's what this is. Abraham receives from Melchizedek a blessing from God. It's not the full blessing where God promised Abraham he would bless him and give him descendants and give him land and make his name great, but it's a taste of it. Melchizedek comes out and prepares this lavish feast. Remember, it is bread and wine, not bread and water. And the idea is, is that Melchizedek has provided at God's request Melchizedek has provided for Abraham extravagantly. And as Abraham is sitting at the table eating, it's a taste of the blessings of God. It's not the full meal, but it's a taste. Melchizedek stands up and he blesses Abraham. And the blessing that he uses calls upon a name of God that's explained to us in Psalm 121. Psalm 121 really gives you the sense of the name that Melchizedek uses when he blesses Abraham. Yeah, I'll take Psalm 121. Thanks. 
There it says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, and here's the name Melchizedek uses, the maker of heaven and earth. What Psalm 121 tells us is that when God is called the maker of heaven and earth, the fact that he makes stuff is not really what's in mind. What's in mind is what's in Psalm 121, which is that God sustains and cares for all that he's created. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. This is the type of blessing that Melchizedek gives to Abraham. And it's a reminder to Abraham on his journey of faith. God is going to take care of you. God watched over you in battle. Abraham is not a seasoned military king or general. But God went with him to battle, and he was victorious where previous kings had failed. It's a reminder, Abraham, more is coming, but God is blessing you now as well. You're receiving a taste of God's goodness, the bread and the wine, the feast, the blessing. All of these are a taste. And Abraham's reminded that while he's waiting in line, this isn't the full blessing. He's given this encouragement. It's coming. It's coming. And Abraham can have confidence that God will provide him with descendants, that God will make his name great, that God will bless him and cause him to be a blessing to others because this story in Genesis 14 is a little piece of that. He's a blessing to Lot. He's a blessing to the king of Sodom. He hasn't received everything yet, but his name is beginning to become great. He receives from the Lord the blessings of God's hand, the bread and the wine that are the the demonstrations of God's extravagant love and grace. Abraham, on his journey of faith, is tasting a little bit of the goodness of God. And what is his response? His response according to the author of Hebrews, is that he gives a gift. He gives a tenth of everything that he had. Now the reason why this is important is the word for tenth is the same word as tithe. Tithe and tenth are the same word. We've just translated it tenth here. And the idea is when you think of the idea of tithing, of giving to God, This is where it comes from. Do you know the first person ever to tithe is Abraham? Now, this is not the first person ever to give something to God, but the first person ever to give a tenth of something to God as an offering is Abraham. And he does it in this story. And the reason that he does it is that he gives it out of gratitude. Not because he has to. The author of Hebrews is trying to make the point, look, there will be Old Testament laws about giving, but those are going to apply to Levi, who is Abraham's great-grandson. There were regulations about giving. Abraham doesn't have any of those regulations. Those rules haven't been written yet. But Abraham still chooses to give, 
not because he has to, but because this is the response of faith to the blessings of God. That Abraham is on this journey of faith. God has not given him everything yet, but he's given him a taste. And as Abraham receives a taste of the goodness of God, he wants to give back to God in gratitude for what God has given to him. And the point is us on our journey of faith. See, the author of Hebrews is trying to make the point, we have a far greater high priest than Melchizedek. And that God blesses us in even greater ways through Jesus than Abraham was blessed through Melchizedek. You see, it's not an accident that Genesis 14 tells us that when Melchizedek came out to meet Abraham, he brought him bread and wine. Because regularly we gather together as a church and we eat bread and drink, it's grape juice, but we drink fruit of the vine and that's a reminder that God gave his son our high priest to bless us, to give us the blessing of eternal life, but also to give us an abundant life now, to begin to receive some of those blessings now. And the point that I'm trying to make from Hebrews 7 is that Abraham received the blessings of God through Melchizedek and responded in gratitude by giving back to God. And we have a far greater high priest a far greater high priest than Melchizedek who gave not the bread and the wine of his possessions, but his own life. His own life so that God could lavish his blessings on us. And as we go through our journey of faith, because of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, we now are experiencing tastes of God's blessing. Not the full thing, it's still coming. Not the heavenly banquet, not the heavenly rest, not the full thing, but pieces, tastes of God's goodness. And the way we respond in faith is by giving. We give back to God out of an attitude of gratefulness for how God has blessed us. Not because we're obligated, gratitude. Now here at Calvary, we're in the middle of a building project. We've been asked by God to expand our facility. And I want to tell you, hopefully now you are praying about how you might financially participate in our building project. That's what we're asking. We're not taking pledges right now. We're going to be doing that in the spring. But right now we're asking that you begin to pray and ask the Lord how you might be able to participate. But I want to say to you this morning, if you are considering giving to the building project that God's asked us to do at Calvary Church because you want to be supportive of what's going on in the church, because you want to submit to where the leadership of the church is taking us through God's leading, that's a good reason for giving. That's a good reason for giving. If you want to give to the building project because you look at children or your grandchildren or you look at youth or you look at the way the worship experience can be enhanced and you think this would be a great blessing for my children, for my grandchildren, for young people in the church, for me as I participate in the worship service and you want to give for that reason, that's a good motivation too. 
If you've looked at this and you've heard what we've said and we feel like God is calling us to spend time uh, advancing what's happening right here so that we are better able to plant other churches and send people as missionaries uh, to other places and, and have a greater impact in Grand Rapids and around the world, and you say, I want to have a greater impact. I want Calvary to have a greater impact, and I understand and I want to do it for that reason, that's a good motivation for giving to. But you want to know what the best motivation for giving is gratitude. If God has blessed you, we want to say thank you. We want to give back to God, not out of obligation. We want to give back to God because God has blessed us in such great ways. Gratitude is the best motivation for giving. This is why when God takes the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of captivity, and says to the Egyptians, hey, give them plunder, give them spoils. And the Israelites come out of Egypt not broke, but rich, because their Egyptian neighbors had given them all these gifts. When they get out in the wilderness, and Moses says, it's time to build a house for God, a tabernacle in which he dwells. What Moses says, if you want a portion of the spoils you took out of Egypt, you are free to come and make a donation. And the donation was so overwhelming that Moses had to say, please don't give any more stuff. We've got too much because of gratitude. The children of Israel were so grateful that God had rescued them and that God had been extravagantly generous. They wanted to give a portion of that back to God. When David comes to build the temple and make all the preparations so that Solomon can do the work, when he says, Lord, I want to give of my own riches, and the leaders say, we want to give as well of the way God has blessed us, David says, Lord, we're just giving you back what you gave to us. You have been so generous. We just want a chance to say thank you to you. And the temple is built based on the gratitude of God's people for God's amazing blessings. When Paul wants to take up a contribution to help those who are suffering through a famine, the Macedonian church says, please, can we contribute? Please, Paul says, but you're not a very wealthy church. The Macedonian church is like, you don't understand. We just went through an incredibly difficult season as a church, and God gave us incredible grace. We want to give in response to that. It's gratitude. Gratitude for what God had done for them, and the giving was a response of faith to that. The woman who pours out her alabaster jar of perfume on Jesus' feet with tears in her eyes, she's doing that not because she's obligated to, but because she can't believe that God would accept her a sinner and welcome her into his family and forgive all her sins, and she's giving out of gratitude to God. Kristen told the story about how she has been convicted or wants to give to the building project, not because while well, you're on staff you've got to give something, but because God has been so generous. God simply dropped a car out of heaven and gave it to her. That's why we give. We give out of gratitude to God. And what about you? What about me? Have we not been given eternal life? Have we not been forgiven of all of our sins? Have we not had the Lord walk with us through sickness? Has God not protected us from spiritual warfare? 
Has the Lord not been good to us? Has he not provided jobs that we can go to? Has he not provided food that we can feed our families? Has he not provided clothing? Has he not provided wonderful relationships? Has he not abandoned us when he should have? Has he forgiven us for ways in which we denied him? Has he come alongside of us when we wanted nothing to do with him and drawn us back to himself? Has he not been good and generous to us? The best response to God's generosity is to be generous to God in response. To say to the Lord, look, you have given to me, please. I want to say thank you. God didn't need Abraham's possessions. God didn't need the Israelites' gold to build the tabernacle. He didn't need David's money. He didn't need the Macedonian church's money. He didn't need an alabaster jar of perfume. God is the maker of heaven and earth. It's all his. And David is saying, thank you, God. Thank you for giving me something that I could give back to you because I got to have some way to say thank you. You have blessed me so richly. I've got to have some way to say thank you. And when we give, there's lots of motivations for giving. But the best motivation is, God, you have been ridiculous ridiculously generous. We haven't gotten the whole thing yet. We haven't gotten the heavenly feast yet. Not all pain is gone. Death is not done with yet. We're not done with our suffering and our struggle, but you've given us tastes. You've given us tastes of your goodness that along the way on the journey of faith, you've shown up and you've blessed us. You've done amazing things. We want to give back to you. Now, I always find God's timing of these sermons interesting. I told you, and you, you know this, we're not taking pledges for this building project for four months. I would have thought you put the sermon on giving right before you take the pledges. But that's not where God put it. Hebrews 7 is here. He put the pledging Sunday in the spring. Nothing God does is an accident. And so as I've reflected on, Lord, why is this the case? Here's what I think. I don't think God is interested in some spur-of-the-moment emotional appeal. You know what I think God thinks? I think he thinks he's been so generous and so kind and so good that if we just simply take time to think about that, we're going to grow in our appreciation of him. That if you take the next four months or the next one month and sit down as a family or as a small group or as an individual and simply go through, how has God blessed you? I think God believes you're going to be more generous the more time you have to think about God's goodness to you. That if I said, right now, let's take an offering, you might give some sort of emotional response, but that's not what God wants. God wants to say, look at how much I have blessed you. And listen, if God hasn't blessed you, don't give. But I'm blessing, and I know that God has been just as kind to you as he's been to me. And although life is not free of trouble, life is hard, we're all on journeys of faith. Sometimes God shows up with a lavish banquet for us. Sometimes he shows up with a word of blessing. 
And our response to that is to say, thank you, God. Thank you for being so kind. Thank you for being so generous. So whether it's giving to the building project, giving to the church, giving to other things God brings, the best motivation for giving is gratitude for the amazing things that God has done for us. Let's pray together. Lord, you have been so good to us. You have been so good to this church. Lord God, you have, you have not been thrifty. You have been extravagant. Lord God, you have given us healing. Lord God, you've allowed us to have peace in the loss of loved ones. Lord God, you have walked with us through every trial that we've gone through. Lord, when we thought that we were going to be overwhelmed and we thought we were going to drown, you reached out and grabbed hold of us and you rescued us. Lord God, you've helped us to get out of the boat and to walk on water. Lord God, you've led people that we are concerned about to the Lord. Lord God, you have convicted us of sin. Lord, you have forgiven us of things that we should never have been forgiven of. Lord, you've set us free from enslavement to sin. Lord God, you've been gracious to us. Lord God, you've given us spouses or children or grandchildren that we never deserved. Lord God, you have provided for us in an abundant way, houses and jobs and cars. Lord God, you've, you've been incredible. God, I thank you for giving us a chance to say thank you back to you. Lord, I know what it's like to receive such amazing gifts. And your heart just bursts and wants to say thank you. God, I praise you that you've given us an opportunity. And I, I pray, Lord, whether it's this building project, whether it's other things at the church, whether it's other things you bring in our path. God, whether it's a tenth, all of it, half of it, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we would have the opportunity to say thank you. Lord God, thank you. You have been amazing to us. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.